what else could we do? What could I explore? What do you want from me? Could we talk about a contract that's 50 years long? No, we can't, Darren. All right, what about one that's five years long? Maybe. Okay. Could we talk about improving the quality, reducing the packaging? Could we work together on blah, blah, blah? There's a million things we could talk about. Now, none of them might bridge the gap between £10 a case and £8 a case, but let's try. Welcome to the Innovate podcast, a show where we discuss, uh, dissect, uh, and attempt to rebuild the world of uh, product and category within consumer goods. Uh, today, I'm delighted to be joined by Darren A. Smith, a veteran of the grocery industry with over 30 years experience, I think, working either for retailers or advising manufacturers and, and, and brands. Uh, Darren and I briefly crossed paths as uh, buyers and category managers at Sainsbury's back in the very early noughties, which we may discuss uh, in a moment. But um, Darren, welcome to the Innovate podcast. Delighted you can uh, you can join us. How are, how are you today? Hey, Ben, I'm good. We're in the process of moving house, not today, but in the next couple of weeks. So I am struggling with that process. There's a reason it's stressful. <laughs> so yeah, you just thought you'd add another huge seismic life event onto the already kind of uh, generational economic challenges that we're facing. That's absolutely true. I think we just squeezed in before the interest rates went through the roof. Right. Yeah. 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 That's not. That's not a joking matter, actually. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, good. So, so Darren, just for the benefit of the uh, of of the listeners, I guess an, a natural place to start would just be to introduce yourself, talk through your kind of background from Sainsbury's through to now, and and just talk about what you're focusing on with your your current uh, business, MBM. If that's okay. Of course. So, I started Sainsbury's in 1990. And at that point, I was the assistant. Now, that's the important part. I was the assistant cottage cheese buyer. I wasn't even the real one. And I didn't even know what cottage cheese was at the right old age of 19. <laughs> so that's where I started. And then I took on various buying roles for the next 13 years. And my last real job was looking after the fruit team for Sainsbury's, where I decided that actually I wanted to go and see if I could do something by myself, set up MBM. And ever since, we've worked on soft skills training Okay, for the last, awesome. last 20 years now. So soft skills training, I guess that could be quite broad. It clearly focused on, on, on people. What, what, what are the kind of the key, uh, key areas that you focus on in terms of developing skills? The key ones that people want are, how do I get the most out of my time, time management? Yep. How do I get the most out of my people, people management, leadership skills? And how do I get the most out of my deals, particularly in the industry that you and I are in? So it's negotiation predominantly, it's time management, and it's people management skills. They're the three. There are a number of other soft skills. The bit I really like is Jack Marr recently, the chairman of Alibaba, said that with the progress of AI, soft skills is the only way forward. Right. Awesome. Which is great. So we can try and process data really quickly and be analysts, but ultimately... It's about how you and I interact, about the teams we build, and about how lead, how we lead people is the future. Yeah, no, that's Go very interesting. On. That's very interesting. Um, so, you know, the, we're, we're recording this in mid-November. It is an incredibly challenging market, both with, within grocery and food and drink specifically, but, but you know, generically we have, you know, as, as just kind of – Western uh, consumers, we've kind of lurched, lurched from generational challenge of, of COVID 
COVID through to the kind of the, the latest generational challenge of the economic crisis. So you, you talked about negotiation skills there. Clearly, um, manufacturers, private label and brand, uh, that's probably one of the main things that their commercial teams are doing at the moment. Uh, the you know that process in terms of working with their retail partners, their food service partners to to effectively kind of reach a commercial position that that can enable survival not to sound kind of too dramatic about it but i think that's that's what many manufacturers and in fairness retailers are are, are facing at the moment so that that that's the topic that we're going to dig into today it's uh, looking at you know negotiation negotiation skills and and, and how uh, our listeners can kind of um improve uh, those skills from their own personal perspective and kind of bring some of those ideas into their businesses as well um Absolutely. Do you want to just give a little bit of background, I guess, to start before we kind of delve into the um, some some of the specific areas about how um, you know what what are the kind of the key key principles within negotiation that we that, that people should be should be thinking on, and then we'll, we'll move on to these kind of seven areas that we're going to discuss today. I think it's firstly worth saying, Ben, I'm feeling for all those people, both yeah. account managers on this side, buyers on this side. It's tough. It's hard. Yes, they get paid the big bucks, as you and I did, as buyers and as account managers, but it's hard. Conflict is hard. Anyone who says that they enjoy conflict or they don't mind conflict, they're lying. Conflict is yeah. tough. It's mentally grueling. You go home at the end of the day, and it's still spinning around in your mind. So it's really tough for these guys at the moment. Now, here's the, the real crux of this. It's harder to negotiate with an amateur negotiator than a professional one. Okay. And the reason for that is amateur negotiators tend to do fight or flight or sanctions. If you don't give me that, I'm off to find someone else. Right. And that's really hard because they're not working with this art form. They're not dealing with the complexities of the negotiation. It's just fight or flight. So what we aim to do is try and help the buyers and the account managers to be more let's call it professional, or we prefer effective negotiators, because they're easier to work with. They understand the science, the art, the game, and they understand that a win-win must happen. Yeah, that's interesting. The The empathy piece, I think, is quite important because the, the buyers that I still know in the industry, they, they've had a pretty miserable 18 months, actually. Uh, I know it's on, on both sides, but, you know, the... the the, the amount of kind of requests coming into them from a, a cost and commercial perspective has been unremitting. That's pretty much, certainly the ones that I talk to, that, that's all they've dealt with. And that's not a, that's not a particularly kind of joyful thing to, to do uh, at all. You and I know as, as former buyers that actually the, the much more kind of positive uh, elements of a buying role are looking at kind of category strategy and how, how, how you increase the size of the, the size of the pie, not how you kind of you know kind of shrink margins and all that all that type of thing. And there's there's very little of that. I think it is just unremitting. So I do I do think that empathy is a good place to start. Yeah, it is. It, it's very tough for them on both sides. They both want to get through this. They don't want a fourth, a fifth, a sixth round of price increases on either side. Unfortunately, it's the way the world is. They've got to get through it, and they've got to try and be friends at the end. And from your dealings across the industry, do, do you see the retailers giving their buyers uh, a lot of support at the moment in terms of kind of either negotiation skills training or just general kind of support for what, what, what they're going through? Um, I think there is a lot of support out there. It's also not forgetting that it's damn tough. And I think no matter what support you give, ultimately, you've got to go up against that cold face and you've got to face into every day three, four, five pricing, pricing creep 
price increase requests that yeah. you just don't want to deal with. You'd rather deal with the other stuff that grows the category, not just makes you stand still. It's yeah, a bit like getting a service on our car at times, isn't it? You go to the garage, you get your service, you pay your 500 quid, get back in your car, nothing's different. Price increases yeah. can feel a little bit like that. A lot yeah, of yeah. hard work for not a lot. Yeah, and there's certainly, you know, the the, the benefit to the consumer is uh, it's not it's not obvious. It's not front of mind, is it? There's no real kind of change to uh, to shelf price in many of these instances. So, um, yeah, difficult yeah. times. And, um, and no, no one's going to thank you for it. The shop is not thank, thanking you for a higher increase. No. The buyer's not thanking you. The... Tough all right. Yeah, Let's see if we sure. can help some of these guys to be more effective negotiators and make their life maybe 1% better. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So on that note, there's there's seven areas that we're going to talk about uh, today that you know you you work with on a on a on a, on a daily basis in terms of you know, the, the the work that you would um, or the, the kind of approaches that you would uh, advise people to adopt uh, when it comes to improving negotiation skills. So I guess in terms of the the obvious first one to start with is 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 preparation. Uh, I've, I've heard you reference this term of the square dance before. How, how do you kind of work with people when they're preparing for a negotiation, first of all? So it's worth providing some context, first of all. There are roughly four stages of a negotiation. If you were to Google it, there's four, five, six, seven. But let's keep it simple. There are four. Preparation, exploration, proposal, conclusion, or summary. Most negotiators, amateur negotiators, negotiators skip the first two. They skip right. the preparation and the exploration. Where do they start? They start by calling up our dear friend PowerPoint and typing some slides. PowerPoint is about as useful to negotiating as you being hungry, Ben, and sellotaping a sausage roll to your stomach. <laughs> it's going to do diddly. Yeah. You might think it's looking good, but it's going to do diddly squat. So what we want to do is help these guys have a simple template for preparation, and PowerPoint ain't it. It just isn't going to work. So what's the alternative? We provide a simple one-page template that poses some questions that the negotiator needs to ask. And they're things like, what's your wish? I want to get £8 a case, 200 extra stores listing, or I just want to get cost price increase of 8%. What's your walk away? I need to get 4%. Okay, so that's my top and bottom. Left and right, we've got our gives. What am I prepared to give to keep the wheels of this negotiation moving forward? And what would I take? If I'm going to take a lesser cost increase, then maybe there's some other things I could get. Um, could I do a category review? Could I get some free data? What is it? And we call these gives and takes the grease or the oil of the negotiation because they keep it moving forward. Because without these gives and takes, you end up top and bottom, and you're haggling. Okay. So preparation is the square dance. Why we called it the square dance, I'm not sure. But we called it that about 20 years ago, and it stuck. <laughs> so it's a simple template that they can download off our website. Um, we came up with it because we were frustrated by amateur negotiators going into negotiations and starting with 10 slides of PowerPoint and presenting. But by presenting, you're going straight into proposal stage here. You skip these two stages. Right, okay. So we okay. don't want to start with PowerPoint. If your listeners take nothing else away from here, only take 
don't start with PowerPoint. It right. is not a preparation negotiation tool. Okay. So with, with the, the, the Square Dance template, you're effectively kind of getting all of the, the, the pieces that you can move around in the negotiation. You're, you're getting them ready. You're getting them clear in your mind. Um, and you're ready for, for first interaction with the, uh, with the, the, the individual on the other side of the table, I, I guess. You are. Um, and there's some other pieces in the middle of it. I'll just add a few more advanced pieces where it asks, what tools might you use? So I was watching a film a little while ago. Have you seen Ocean's Eleven, or it might be Eleven or Twelve? You know the. the... I have. Well, I've certainly seen a couple of the Ocean's film. I can't remember the numbers, but yeah, I have. It was one of them. I'm sure there's Ocean Ten to Nineteen now. <laughs> and I think it was Brad Pitt says to George Clooney, "We've got to do this this con type thing. Let's do a Lucy Lou followed by a Jacoby and a painted wall." Now, we're not supposed to know what those things are. What we are supposed to see is these are contracts. So my question to your listeners is, what tools are they putting in play for their negotiation? And that's what the Square Dance asks in the middle of the template. What tools are you going to use? For instance, are you going to use a Russian front, an up and over, a silence they will have heard of? But there are probably 100 uh, negotiation tools, and they've got to select the right ones for their negotiation. At the moment, the preparation is, I'll start on PowerPoint, type some slides, I've had a bit of a think on the train, let's see what happens. That's okay. not effective negotiation. Okay. So those, th those things like Russian Front, those are techniques in, in terms of how to handle a negotiation, are they, I, I presume? Yes. Yeah. They're techniques that you can employ. Now, we're not proposing that people we train use all these techniques, we are proposing they grab three, four, or five and use them well. It's better to have three, okay. four, or five used well rather than 50 you've got no clue about. Okay. So just give us an example of, you mentioned the Russian front, for example. What, what, what is that as an well, example I'll, of a potential technique? I'll do the up and over just because it will stick in their minds a bit more. Do you remember the old okay. garage doors that were up and over, the big steel yes. ones that creaked? Yeah. They normally broke yeah. and the springs were no good. Keep that as a metaphor in your mind if you would. So let's say you and I are buying a car, you're buying my car, and make me a ridiculous offer for my Fiesta worth £5,000, let's say. What offer would you make me, Ben? Uh, £1,500. If you could give me cash, your first dog, and you could also give me your car, then I'll absolutely give that to you. All you're doing is taking their offer and matching it with an equally ridiculous offer. It has to be credible. Credible. I was doing a bit of comedy, but it has to yep. be credible. And what happens is the person who made the first offer says, hold on, by what you said, my first offer was a bit ridiculous. Yes, it was. So you never need to say no to someone in a negotiation because you just take what they've said and you find a way to match it. Right. Okay. Okay. So there's lots of different approaches and techniques that people can use along Similar, yes. dissimilar lines. Okay. Okay, fine. So we, we, we've looked at preparation. What, what, what's the next step for people to consider? I think the most famous tool, and it's taught by every training company in the world on negotiation, is if you, then I. You might remember it from your Sainsbury's days. Yeah, it does ring a bell. It does ring a bell. Yeah. So every trainer trains this one. And the reason they do is because it's really, really effective and really, really simple. Basically, it says, when we get to this stage, which is the proposal stage, I might say to you, if you can buy my Fiesta for £5,000, 
then I'll throw in some free mats. Okay. And the reason it works is because there's two parts of the sentence. There's the if you, then I. And by structuring it in the bit that you want second, the then I, it makes the other person listen to it. Okay. Because if I were to say, for instance, if I, da-da-da-da-da, you might put your hand out, try and shake my hand. Ah, I didn't get to say the bit I wanted. <laughs> right. So if you, then I. Now, what typically happens when people start using this tool is they get it around the wrong way, and that's okay. Learning and training is a bit like tuning in an old radio. Sometimes you get the music, and you hear Noddy Holder playing his Christmas thing. Sometimes you don't. But you have to keep trying to tune it in. So you have to keep practicing if you, then I, until you hear the music. You've got it tuned in. Because I, I, reflecting on negotiations that I had when I was a buyer and, 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 and others since then, there's probably quite a difference between negotiating face-to-face, -face, so sitting across the other side of a table with a, with a buyer, which is great in many ways. You're, like, you're probably more likely to reach a resolution, but equally it does add a fair amount of performance pressure versus email negotiations, which I know kind of still still happen a fair, a fair amount. It, it, do, do these kind of techniques in terms of preparation, et cetera, do they still apply to whatever the medium that you're using to kind of actually communicate and negotiate with the, uh, the other party? Most of the techniques will apply whatever the format is. Okay. Because you're trying to move the negotiation forward to a win-win. The bit that is really interesting is over here, like you and I are doing at the moment. Mm -hmm. When we're training people at the moment, we need to train them face-to-face, -face, we need to train them over screen, and we need to train them over email, maybe even text as well. But let's say those okay. three formats. This one's particularly interesting because when we're talking and coaching with our learners, you'll see some of them like this. Or like this. Right. Or the light's bad. This will halve your influence and your ability to negotiate. We've got to make sure that we're framed properly, like I am. I'm mm -hmm. filling up as much of the space as possible. My headroom's quite small. I've got decent light, and I'm talking to the camera. Yeah. You've probably been in meetings where someone's talking to you like this because they've got two or three monitors. It just makes them less effective and influential. Yeah. So we've got yeah. to be really careful about how we're coming across on this screen. And you can see me use my hands. You can't see what's below here. Of course you can't. So I've got to bring my communication up, and I've got to show you what I'm trying to say. Right, okay. Now, the other thing that's worth knowing is that when we negotiate over here, we are at 1 million megapixels. In real life, you and I are about 576 million pixels. So it's reduced 500 times. So I can't see all the little um, nonverbal cues that you're making, which is why this is exhausting for everyone over screen. Because yeah. I'm struggling to see all the little things that are going on around your face to see what yeah. you're really saying and thinking. Yeah, you, you, and that's why we finish these calls and we're knackered. <laughs> right, particularly after a day of back-to-back -back calls. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yes. Um, you're, you're from from what you hear around the industry at the moment. Are, are most negotiations are they happening on Teams and Zoom, or are they happening on email or face to face, or um, all of the above? If we take COVID, it was obviously Teams completely, screen completely. Yeah. We're starting to see some more face to face coming in, and I would certainly encourage our account managers to try and negotiate to get FaceTime. Now, when you get that right. FaceTime, okay. try not try to make sure you're not there for two hours. Try and use the time effectively, but that, that FaceTime is really important versus screen.
because it's 500 times clearer as to what they're really saying. And that's important. Okay. Okay. So we've looked at the kind of the preparation in the, in the, the early stages. What, what, what would be the next area to, uh, to, to focus on when you're working with people? Yeah, I, have you ever seen a Monty Python sketch where they're haggling at a market? Yes, I think I have, yeah. Um, it's a great sketch worth looking up. And what happens is one guy tries to haggle with the other one, and the other guy says, no, 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 all right, I'll take it for that. No, 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 you must haggle. No, well, I've just said I'll take your price. No, no, you must haggle. And it's a great sketch. <laughs> the point is that there are a number of ways of resolving a conflict, two of which are negotiation and haggling or bartering. Okay. Now, it's important to know that they're different. Most negotiators are haggling, and that's okay. It's still a valid form of resolving a conflict. What we're teaching our learners to become an effective negotiator is to know the difference. So haggling is you and I are buying Roy Ban sunglasses in a uh, market in somewhere in the Middle <laughs> East. And yeah. you say to me, Darren, these are 80 euros. And I say, no, oh, I couldn't possibly do that. They're 10. And we meet in the middle. And that's haggling and we've resolved the conflict. Haggling is on one dimension. Normally price, it can be time. But let's say it's price for the moment. And then there's negotiating. Negotiating is, is um, discussing across multiple dimensions, price, color, delivery, quality, blah, 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 wherever those things are. Right, okay. Negotiating is much more of an art form, much more complex, much harder to do. Haggling isn't. So we okay. need to know which one we're doing and which will be the most effective. How do you handle it if one party is negotiating and one party is haggling? I would try to bring the other party to negotiating. And you're going to right. do that by introducing tradables or those gives and takes that we talked about earlier. Those extra okay. things that make the negotiation a bit more, bit more interesting. Right. Okay. Okay. So haggling is effectively on a linear scale of one dimension. Negotiating is is looking at multiple moving parts to try and reach a resolution okay absolutely we've all done the yeah. haggling at the market in the far east or yeah. uh, in the middle east negotiating is what we really ought to be doing more of because we'll get more back for our uh, bank for our buck right okay okay so we're trying to avoid haggling we're trying to get into uh, negotiating using a more structured approach it sounds absolutely like. yeah absolutely yeah. Okay. so okay. haggling is not negotiating is the take Okay. Um, you, you mentioned this concept of, of tradables there. Just just expand on that a, a little more. I mean, I guess that's kind of part of preparation as well and knowing how to leverage them during the negotiation, but just expand a bit on what you mean by tradables. Amateur negotiators come to the negotiation with, I want that, you want that, we end up with stalemate. Right. Because we're both hitting it probably on one dimension of price and we're not agreeing. And that's probably because there's no bargaining arena. There's no overlap. We're mm -hmm. just part. You're at £10 a case, I'm at 8 The tradables or the give and takes on our square dance are things that might bridge the gap. So you won't give me the £10 a case I need. Well, what could you give me? Well, Darren, I could give you another 200 stores or free sampling, something in the magazine, pause, whatever it is. Okay, well, that takes us a little bit forward. And now in my mind, not a £10 a case, but I could reduce it to £9.50. 
okay, and let's do that. Now, price is important, of course it is. But if we just go in with price only, we're going to end up in a stalemate. So what other things could we ask for? If, for instance, I had a, a blank checkbook, what could I put in it for you? Okay. Is the, in, in the current climate, I'm hearing a lot of, um, albeit anecdotal stories, of, of suppliers going to retailers and saying, we need this cost price by next Friday or we stop supplying. That's, that's one dimension that feels quite, quite linear. As a, a kind of flipping back to our former careers, how, how would you kind of go about handling that type of thing where it's, it's almost not a negotiation, it's a bit, little bit of a demand, isn't it, really? It is. It's what we call sanctioned negotiations. So that's where I come back to the more amateur negotiators. If you can't do that, we're off. Mm -hmm. Now, that may just happen. What we need to make sure we do is this next stage. We've got preparation, exploration. Okay, we might get to that stage, but just before we do, what else could we do? What could I explore? What do you want from me? Could we talk about a contract that's 50 years long? No, we can't, Darren. All right, what about one that's five years long? Maybe. Okay. Could we talk about improving the quality, reducing the packaging? Could we work together on blah, blah, blah? There's a million things we could talk about. Now, none of them might bridge the gap between £10 a case and £8 a case, but let's try. Yeah, okay. Let's have an exploration. Just because I'm exploring doesn't mean I'm accepting I will give you this. All I'm doing is finding other ways to try and bridge this gap. What, what's your view on... on um... Because let's assume that both parties come to the table with, with tradables and they're, they're being exchanged, but you couldn't possibly know in advance what the other party's tradables were. So you're likely to have, certainly as an account manager, you're likely to have to go back to your business and kind of get input and feedback and, and, and approval. This idea of kind of fragmenting negotiations into chunks versus trying to kind of solve it all in one, in one hit, what, what would your uh, advice and guidance be on, on, on that? And you're right, we hear this a lot. Where either the escalations, uh, sorry, either the negotiations get escalated internally because yep. the account manager couldn't do it, or this thing goes on forever. So in the square dance, the other benefit it has is I, as, a, as an account manager, let's say, fill out my square dance. I go to my boss and say, this is what I'm thinking of doing. What do you think? A, I genuinely want your feedback because you know the account. Well, I wouldn't try uh, a Lucy Lou, but I might try a blah, blah, blah tool. Okay, because we know Bob and Bob might respond to that. That's good. But also, boss, could you sign off this? £10 a case, £8 a case. Yeah, I can sign that off. Now, what normally happens is most bosses get really nervous and they say something like, but you won't go straight to £8 a case, will you? No, boss, of course I won't. Trust me. I've been here 20 years. I know mm -hmm. what I'm doing. Okay, as long as you don't go straight down to there, I'm okay. And what you get is authority, a bargaining arena to negotiate with. Because otherwise, and you and I did this, as buyers, we go, well, if you haven't got the authority, don't talk to your boss. And then yeah. the account manager loses all credibility. We haven't got an effective account manager, and we're just now dealing, excuse me, with a sales director forevermore. Yeah. It doesn't okay. work for either of us. Okay. So the square dance enables authority. Okay. But the, the, there's probably quite a few kind of um, uh, tradables that are brought to the table by, by both parties, I would guess, that are hard to kind of assign a value to. Um, you know, you, you 
brief example there of kind of um, you know a retailer saying offering space in a magazine or, or or marketing space on shelf, whatever it might be. That those are quite hard to kind of assign a value to. So it would be difficult for anybody, even reasonably senior, to kind of say say yes to that and then go back and actually figure out. You know, oh shoot! I've just uh, <laughs> I've just thought that that was worth fifty k. It's actually worth fifteen k to us. So the, I, I would have thought there are going to be times when you do need to kind of get some input from your business, and that might kind of break the negotiation into into chunks potentially, rather than than it being resolved in one uh, yeah. in one uh, traditional hit. You're absolutely right. That will happen, and you might need to chunk the negotiation. But if you want to speed up the process because time's against you then yeah. maybe you agree, agree up front. I've got an hour and a half with the buyer. We're going to try and get to a proposal within 20 minutes. Then I'm going to call from a German. Buyer, mm-hmm. can I have five minutes? I just need to go and talk to my boss, get feedback. I'll come straight back. Okay. Straight phone. Yes. This, what do you think? Yes, no, back in, go. Yeah, okay. It yeah. doesn't have to be a combination of six meetings, my boss coming in, five emails. It doesn't have to be protracted. We right. make it protracted because we're worried about the conflict okay. and we're not prepared. So carve out so, some time, get all of the relevant kind of potential decision makers and stakeholders ready and, and available and then and try and reach a resolution. Okay, yeah, that's nice. Yeah. And that's why often they get escalated because we either don't have the authority to negotiate mm-hmm. or we don't like the conflict. I hear a lot and it happens in training where two people go, okay, we'll make a plan. No, you're just avoiding the conflict. Right. You've got to get stuck into this. You need to be prepared, and you've got to trade. Yeah. A little bit like a pizza. I send it to you. It's deep and crusty. It's got pineapple and ham on. You take half my half my pineapple off, put some treetho on, get rid of my ham, make it thin, crispy, you send it back. And we yep. do this in stage three in proposal. That's the way it has to work. Not we'll go and make some plan and we'll actually come back to this in three months with a plan that no one likes because we're still back to the original problem. You want yeah. a ten pound a case, I want an eight pound. We're not solving the problem. Yeah, we're nowhere nearer. Okay, so we've we've moved through preparation. We've done some exploration. We've we've got kind of tradables moving. Um, you, you talk about this concept of no free no free fish, which is yes. a very intriguing <laughs> intriguing headline. Talk a little bit a bit more about that. One of the biggest pitfalls that amateur negotiators face is no free fish. So imagine the Arctic. We've got the snow blizzard coming in. We've got our fishermen cut a hole in the ice, fish coming out. Yeah. Onto the sledge, we've got the huskies. He's now on his way back. All right. So imagine now fishermen, pile of fish, huskies, long day of fishing, we're going back. Polar bear. Big bugger comes out of the side. Now, what do you do with a polar bear that's now chasing you? Run as hard as possible. Well, you you probably shout at the huskies to go faster. You grab one of the fish (laughs) off the pile. Yeah. And you throw it. The polar bear thinks, that's lovely. Finishes that because there's a big polar bear and eats the fish quickly. What does it do next? Well, you've distracted, said Polar Bear. And it's whether or not it wants more of the free fish. The Polar Bear looks up and yeah. thinks, I can smell more of those. Yeah. So the, the fish, our fishermen... <laughs> Keeps throwing. Yeah. So this is about 
no free fish. You and I were taught as buyers to, the metaphor was to bring the account manager down the mountain. What can mm -hmm. I get for free? Can I get free sampling? Ask. Can I get a cost reduction? Can I get quicker deliveries, better payment terms? Just keep asking. Yeah. And then when you get something, you thank and bank it. Thank you very much for those payment terms. What else could you do for me? Now, yeah. our job as effective negotiators is not to allow free fish. And the way we do that is you, if you can give me an extra 50 stores, whatever it is, then I'll reduce your payment terms. Okay. So it's conditional giveaways. Okay. You never give away a free fish without asking for something in return. Right, okay. Okay, fine. So no more free fish is the takeaway from here. Okay. Um, and then you, you talk about the big outrageous ask. I, I certainly remember being trained on this at, at Sainsbury's, and I think it's you know, it's called lots of different things for lots of different people, but that, that, that's the idea of you're, you're, the first time you put an offer on the table, it, it's quite excessive, I guess, and compared to where you would actually like to, to end up. Is, is that a reasonable description? It is. The research from many, many deals and negotiations over the last 20 years suggests that most people aren't ambitious enough. So right. if we come back to our square dance, we've got our wish and our walk away. The wish is not a big enough wish because we just need to ask sometimes. And with our boa, our snake metaphor of a big outrageous ask, as long as it's credible, yep. ask. Right. Let's see where it goes, but it has to be credible. There's no point in asking for stupid stuff and losing your credibility. But there is right, every, okay. every chance you ask for a bit more. And let's say we ask every account manager watching this, and maybe every buyer, if you could ask for just 1% more, it would be outrageous. And if you've got one in 100 and you do 200 deals a year, that's worth quite a lot of money. Yeah. Okay. It's worth asking. Yeah, for sure. How do you, you've talked about credibility a couple of times. Is there a way of kind of defining that? Um, because I guess what, what a credible cost price increase request uh, now in November 2022 when the you know, economic situation is horrendous is it, it, probably very different to what it was three or four years ago, for example, for certain categories that might have been suffering from inflation. I mean, how, how, as, a, as a guide, is it just a subjective thing? It either feels credible or it doesn't, or is there a, is there a way of kind of making that a bit more objective? Yeah, it's a good question. It's one we get asked a lot, and unfortunately the answer's not great, because the answer is that it only comes from experience. And right. so with any account managers that we're talking about at the moment, it's asking those around you with more experience, getting two or three opinions to understand, is 12% credible? I think so. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then you need to break it down. So if it were, we're taught in uh, surveys that there's seven degrees, which are important. So you might take, go to your boss and say, I'm asking for 11, 12, 13, there's seven degrees here. Put a line where it's credible and not credible there. Okay, good. We need to ask in a way that's not leading mm -hmm. and is tangible. And by writing down seven different options and asking them to put a line without really saying anything else, that side's not credible, that side is. Okay, so it's that number. That would really help them to be credible. Right. Okay. Okay, so, so it's a, tangible. Yeah, okay. And what, one thing that interests me on, in uh, this part of the process is, is how much would you advise uh, negotiators to be um, <clears throat> evidencing 
the the let's just assume that most certainly at the moment are, are kind of cost price driven how, how much would you ad advise people to kind of evidence so let's just say that they're arbitrarily kind of asking for 10 pence you know per unit more is it kind of you just put that on the table and then you wait for the response or do you say it's 10 pence and three pence is driven by gas you know two pence by uh, electric three pence by logistics etc cetera, etc cetera. what's your kind of guidance on uh, on, on that it's a long answer ben because <laughs> I've been <laughs> I've been thinking about this one for two decades, so I'll give you I'll give you a couple of answers and we'll see see how they resonate. There's two schools of thought in asking why. If you say to me, "I want to buy your Fiesta for four thousand pounds," and I say why, you're going mm -hmm. to tell me. Now, because I've asked why, I've invited you in and I've invited that information in, and you tell me that. Um, well, I've got three uh, kids that I can't afford to choose for, and I can't get to work, and I work 40 hours uh, every three days. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. You've now built a wall that I've got to climb over. Right. So I've just made my life harder. Now, if I don't ask why, I may not have uncovered that the reasons you're giving are rubbish, and I can knock them down. Right. Okay. So there's two schools of thought. You ask why. You might get reasons. And they've built up a really good case that you can't overcome. Ouch. Mm -hmm. Or you don't ask why, and potentially they haven't got any reasons and they're playing poker. Right, okay. So I'm 50-50 on these. If you ask or don't ask, you might get it, you might not. Right, interesting. Now, if I had to pick one, I'd say ask. Right. But know okay. what you're walking into. I might get right. an extreme amount of information from you. I get a wall and I can't climb that wall. Right. Okay. A anecdotally, I'm hearing that a lot of retailers are, are they're, they're asking for kind of justification, I, I think, at the moment, so that they can link uh, things to their own energy trackers, uh, for example. But, you know, hopefully we're in a relatively unique period of time now and, and uh, in future negotiations, you don't necessarily need to kind of evidence everything quite as heavily. You don't. Now, the other reason that the buyers are asking for evidence, they're rightly doing their due diligence, as they should. Why do you want a price increase? Show me the evidence. The, mm -hmm. the other reason they're asking is so they can look at that evidence a bit like a piece of cheese and poke holes in it. Yep. Of You and I did yep. the same. Now, here's the other bit that we need to be aware of. The brain is split into four. Mm -hmm. and I'll try and do this really quickly. We've got the top half, the bottom half, the left and the right brain. Most people know about the left and the right brain. Left brain's logical, right brain's a bit more creative. But there's actually a top and bottom as well. Okay. If you get the fact part brain-driven buyers, they're going to want loads and loads of information because that's mm -hmm. where they're comfortable. Right. With other buyers, you will be asked less information. So the point, he, point is here, an account manager and a buyer needs to understand who they're dealing with. Are they driven by facts? There are four types. Facts, form, feelings, and future. They're the four we're, we're splitting to. Okay. You get one of these guys, which is the facts guys, they're going to want endless amounts of facts. Right. Well, we need to understand okay. the animal that we're dealing with. There's a bit more on our website called HBDI, which helps you identify different people and the way they think. Right. Okay. So that, that, that would just come from your relationship with the, uh, with, with the buyer and having done some kind of previous discovery yeah. with those individuals. Okay. 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 So we, we, we're probably, it feels like we're, we're making good progress through this kind of hypothetical negotiation we've we've done really good preparation we've we've done some exploratory work we've done tradables i'm 
we've we've got some offers on the table now. How how do you kind of bring this process to a uh, to a conclusion? Hmm. Well, I'm actually going to jump back if that's all right before I conclude it because yep. in our stages preparation exploration. Everyone's heard of open questions and closed questions. And you know if I ask you a closed question, you'll say to me, Darren, closed question, I, I only get a yes or no to. Yeah. In our experience of training a lot of people, everyone understands open and closed questions. No one does it in practice. Right, okay. So when they're exploring, if they do this stage, which, which they should, they need mm -hmm. to uncover what does the other person want. Yes, you want a better price, but what else is important to you? And asking open questions and generally sitting back and waiting for the answer is absolutely critical if you're going to explore what's in their head. Right, okay. We this do this. Approach. Sorry, go on. Uh, this is an approach I know reasonably well because it works very well with my teenage children. I find that if, you, if they come home from school uh, and, and say, did you have a good day at school, you get a kind of a grunted yes or a grunted no. Whereas if you say, what was the best bit about your school day? You at least get some dialogue going. So, yeah, I can relate to that. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> and that, it, you're absolutely right. You get some dialogue going. And that's what you yeah. want with these open questions. Now, the way to remember these is five bums on a rugby post. So a rugby okay. post, five right. W's. The five W's, right. where, what, when, which, who, and the H is okay. how. That's how we start okay. our open questions. Okay. All right. So five bums on a rugby post is the metaphor I want to put in right. people's heads. Okay. Okay. That, work, that works very well. So, okay. So lots of, lots of dialogues that do really good exploration that you can then use as, as, as tradables and kind of move forward from there. Okay. Absolutely. In order to put together in stage three, your proposal. So yeah. I'll give you an example. If I take stage three, what typically happens, let's imagine I'm on a car four call. And I'm dribbling over this red seat, uh, sorry, this um, red two seater sports car. It's lovely. Mm -hmm. Let's call it a Porsche 911. I really want to. Oh, gorgeous. Yeah. The guy comes over, only had two owners. One was a vicar, 30,000 miles, service, and he's off with his patter. Yeah. What he doesn't realize is I've got six kids. No, I haven't. But let's say I've got six kids. <laughs> I'm yeah. never going to buy that damn car. I'd love to, but I can't. What he needs to start with is exploration. What are you looking for? Why are you looking for that? What's your family size? Blah, blah, blah. Then he right. says, over there is the SUV that you need. Okay. Often we go into negotiations, straight into proposal stage. The other person doesn't like it because we have no idea what they want. Right. Okay. And you're just immediately at loggerheads. Yeah. Okay. Um. You, you talk about the, the, the management of expectations and conditioning being quite an important uh, element. Just, just talk a little bit more about that, if you would. Let's, um, let's stick with our, our car industry for a moment. Your car breaks down, the engine's smoking, but you just managed to limp it to the local garage. You yeah. go in, there's the guy sitting behind the service desk. He's covered in oil. He's got the overalls. It's a garage. Okay, I'll get it. And you say to him, my car is absolutely it's gone. It's smoking, there's oil coming out of everywhere, it's horrible. What's the first thing he does before he says anything? <laughs> and try not to be too offensive to my local mechanics that I've dealt with over the years. Yeah. 
Makes lots of noise about how expensive it's going to be, I presume. So the yeah. first thing this guy does when you tell him your engine's screwed is he goes, and what do you know at that point, as soon as he does that? That it's probably not entirely true because there's no investigation being done and no discovery. So that individual is, is setting some expectations the other way. Yeah. So you know you're likely to get absolutely had on this. Yeah. The bill that you thought was 500 quid and now just gone to five grand. Yeah. He has managed your expectations in under about a second. Mm -hmm. Conditioning is really important. Now, we can't do the cliche conditioning of our garage friends but we can do conditioning. We already do it at the moment. So you ask me for eight pound a case. And if I go, let me ask my boss, you're walking away thinking, you could get eight pound a case here, rock mm -hmm. on. Whereas actually in my mind, I've panicked and gone, oh, gee, no way can I get it, but let me ask. You don't yep. know what's going on in my mind. So we need to condition people to manage their expectations. So when you ask me for eight pound a case, I say, I think that's going to be tough, really tough. But let me just start, let me just ask, and I'll okay. I've managed your expectations that eight pounds a case, eight pound a case is going to be tough. Right. Okay. We need okay. to do that for them and for us to manage this expectation. Otherwise, if I don't manage your expectation, and I come back two days later and go, no way to eight pound a case, you go, oh, I thought you could. I didn't say I could. Yeah. I thought you could. And then what happens is they talk about this foggy thing, which is body language, but they can't articulate it, so they end up having an argument. Right, okay. So in that instance, the, the negotiation is oscillating very hard, isn't it? It's kind of, you know, there's false expectations being set on one side, and then promptly bubbles are being popped, you know, two days later, and it just builds up resentment and it lack does. of trust. Yeah. And it becomes horrible. And trust yep. is really important in negotiation. There's a trust model that has four parts. Reliability, intimacy, credibility, and self-orientation. And we need to make sure we understand all four parts of this because some bright spark many years ago said trust is a bit foggy. Hold on, I'll break it down. Four parts. So if I don't trust you, it might be because of reliability. When you say you're going to do something, you never do. Right. Credibility, if I ask you about Viper, I'd expect you to know the answer. Absolutely, mm -hmm. you're credible. Mm -hmm. Intimacy is, do I know a little bit about you and a little bit, you know, a little bit about me? Well, you and I, for instance, have talked about saying to us, we have a little yeah. bit of intimacy. But all of this can be killed by the fourth part, which is self-orientation. If I only talk about me, you're going to get fed up. Right, okay. So okay. if our listeners are thinking about anyone they do trust or don't trust, if you trust them, you have all four parts ticked. If you don't trust them, one of those parts is missing. Okay, that's very interesting. There's lots of lots of moving parts at play, aren't there, to, to really kind of conclude a successful negotiation. <laughs> very, very interesting. But I, you know, doing this kind of live and face to face uh, as we used to, it's it's quite a challenge, isn't it? Quite a challenge. It is. It's not easy, and there's a reason that buyers and account managers pay the big bucks. They should be because mm -hmm. they are dealing with very complex soft skills that they need yeah. to master. They don't want to be amateur negotiation negotiators that just say fight or flight. They yep. need to be masters of this. Yeah, that's, that's very, very interesting. Darren, we, we are um, running out of time. How, how would you um, how would you wrap up in terms of kind of final uh, bits of guidance for, for, for people having been through this process so far? The biggest challenge that most people face is lack of preparation because they don't know how to prepare, prepare effectively. Okay. Google 
MBM Squared Hearts. Whether you buy anything from us or you don't, it will make you a better negotiator. Download the template and just use it because it will ask you all the questions you don't want to be asked about the negotiation that's coming up. And I want them to be the very best version of their negotiating self. That's my job. That's what we do. Okay. That's my job. Darren, it's been genuinely really interesting. There's lots of directions we could have gone in, I suspect, but uh, in the interest of time, we're going to have to uh, wrap it up. So I really appreciate your time today. And Darren, thank you very much for participating in the Innovate podcast. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Ben. Hope to see you again next time. Yep. Very good. Uh, And thank you for tuning in, uh, listeners. There will be more episodes uh, coming down the line, but thank you for your time today. We really hope you enjoyed that episode of the Innovate podcast. To hear more bi-weekly episodes, please hit the subscribe button below. Thank you.